Dear Monders, welcome to Voces Mundi, the multicolored podcast about social cultural stories with spicy and aromatic ingredients. Hosting Mavira Good. Voces 1. Football and Peace, the best recipe for harmony in the Middle East. I am very glad to start this Voces Mundi project with you, and I hope this first episode will be the first of many others. Today, I want to introduce you to Leon Bujo. She is the head of sports at Paris Center for Peace and Innovation. We will talk about the magic of football and bridging building between Israelis and Arab Palestinians in the midst of conflict. So please take a coffee, sit tight, don't worry, there will be some pauses to stretch and let's begin. I um, want to ask you, first of all, um, because to get like the, the, the people who will listen, to get like a, a sense of what, what, what is uh, the work you're doing, um, what, um, uh, what are the, can you explain how um, these uh, sport projects are craft, were crafted? How they were crafted, um, yeah. How they were crafted, what are the main goals and the differences between between them? In general, uh, our projects are the first in uh, the region to uh, work with this methodology, to use sport as an educational tool, uh, especially when you're considering the Palestinian-Israeli uh, aspect of it. Uh, still today, we're one of very few organizations that does that. Um, and the whole process started out of an understanding that communities um, are not uh, meeting each other. And in this way, like all of the perceptions uh, that the people have about one another, they come out of, you know, something which is more stereotypical uh, and less built on, like, personal experience. Um... So in the beginning, the, the and I think this is true for all of the projects at the Paris Center, it works on the, the two main principles. The, the first is what we're trying to do is bring people that would otherwise not have the chance to meet, to come together and to meet each other in a safe environment that allows them to get to know each other and to well, explore their reality in maybe a different light or something to that extent um, and as I, as I explained this is really important because the, the reality here is to some degree segregated like communities really don't have a lot of uh, chances to meet and to interact and 
And if we're, and the idea of the Benefit Center is to try to bring people um, closer to the peace uh, process, yeah? So the belief is that if we get them together and, and, and allow them to challenge the stereotype and the, and the boundaries and the walls that we have between us, then we'll get a step closer. And the second assumption is that it's not enough to just have them come together when I mean, it's good, it's a start. But it becomes better when we get them engaged around the mutual goal, something that they are both working for and both benefiting of. When we do that, the, the factor of benefit, it also helps give some kind of motivation to continue this process, which is not necessarily any process. Um, but also it shows, okay, if we are all contributing to this, if we are all using this, if we are all in need of that, this is some kind of similarity between us. This is forming some kind of community. And then the, the normal human being approach is to say, okay, my identity is only my identity because it's not the other identity. You understand what I mean? That we, we construct ourselves as, as a opposite to something else. And then when we, we have them working together for mutual core for the community, then we are limiting the us versus them component. So all of the Palace Center projects are built around these two pillars, you can say. The same like in the program that you participated in. Yala is creating a safe space for everyone to come around, and you have the benefit, you are working towards improving your skills as citizen journalists. So it's always looking for those two components. So these two components also, um, they come to life also in our project, in the SWARM project. But the difference is that here we are working with a much younger audience. We're working with children. So everything has to be a lot more simple or simplified. So the way to get them together is around games and, and sports and fun. And this is also like the mutual goal. Yeah, we're providing after school frameworks that they can take part in instead of like, you know, being at home and doing nothing. And they're playing together on the same teams. Not once again each other, but mixed. And also sport in this case is very, very helpful because as opposed to adults that normally can speak either English or they have some Hebrew or maybe a little bit of Arabic, with children this is not the case. So we had to find something that would also be a language. Now, I don't know how familiar are you with sport, but normally there are certain rules that like even if you don't share a language, if you know the game, you can communicate. Yeah. So, so this is basically the idea. How did you get involved in the organization? How long have you been working as head of sports in a, yeah. at the Paris Center? So I joined the Paris uh, Center like three years ago. Uh, I started with managing the, one of our programs in sport, which is called GPSS, the twin based sports schools. Um, and later on, I started running the whole sport uh, division which includes this project and another project, which is called Playing Fair, mm -hmm. and all of the many side projects, initiatives, networking, everything that has to do with that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I think our projects are constantly trying to, to adapt and stay relevant. Mm -hmm. So, for example, we started with TBSS, but then the second program, Playing, Feet, playing Fairly Fair. Fairly it started because we understood that like TPSS is doing great work, but we want to be able to 
to adapt like the program that it takes place like anywhere and more often. And DPSS logistically and financially can be a bit more complicated. So it's a different version relying on communities and young leaders and students um, to make sure that we can spread the message as much as possible. Another example is like now with COVID-19, we're adapting all of our programs to to make sure that we can continue our work even with social distancing, etc. And the idea is like if you're not staying up to speed, if you're not constantly adapting, if you're not constantly listening to the needs from your community, then you will become less less relevant for them. Okay. Um, I I understand that there is a list of factors that um, you usually discuss with your teams um, to choose uh, the community you are going to work with. Um, how how does the strategy to attract and bring uh, children and their families to participate and engage? Um, how does it work? So there's always the, the, the idea that we struggle between like okay, how long do we stay in a certain community? Like when do we leave? Because on the one hand, there are communities where it's really important for us to be active and to be there. But on the other hand, it is important for us to try and spread our work out and not constantly just be located in one place. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's always this choice that you have to you have to choose because unfortunately, it's not possible to be everywhere at all of the locations. Okay. Um, so what we do basically is identify uh, communities in which we feel that the project is of high need. So this is normally uh, periphery areas, areas which are very affected by the conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, so it could be, for example, uh, Jerusalem, or it could be Sderot, which is the city really on the border with Gaza, under constant attack. Um, so we're trying to really understand which communities need the project um, and trying to implement it there. We do that by finding the right kind of partner. We know that the, like for this project work needs to be adopted by the community. Like the community needs to support it. So if we don't have a strong partner that is willing to take part in it to commit to the process, we don't want to just waste, you know, our our time, our funds, etc. It's important for the project in the end be like beneficial. So the main idea is to approach um, a, a leaders community and to present the project. Um, it's not necessarily before. a leader within the community because we're working quite. It would be normally like uh, partners that we feel like can implement. So, for example, we work with the uh, football teams, uh, which are quite known in Israel. Yeah. We work with after-school centers. Uh, we work with schools. Um, but the, the idea is that it's a partner from the community, which has the ability to really sustain the program. Like, like you said before, we all football lovers speak the same language, which is what brings us together. However, one of the most intriguing factors, and you also mentioned it before, aside politics, religion, the conflict, and also like um, the geographic boundaries, because I understand that you are mixing, um, for example, like you said, the road between uh, out uh, outside the, the border within the border. Uh, but 
one of the most intriguing factors is language itself. Um, so how do language like how do do language the trainings take place? Uh, do I understand that um, there are um, Israel uh, no Arab students who um, are taught in, uh, in Hebrew sometimes? Do Israelis also learn a bit of Arabic or there's like a common ground language? It's a good question. Um, so, in general, uh, within Israel, uh, so uh, Arab communities within Israel, they mm -hmm. do learn uh, Hebrew to some extent. It depends on the age, it depends on the area. Palestinians, they do not learn Hebrew at all, obviously. And as for the uh, Jewish uh, communities, normally, no, they do not learn Arabic, sometimes in a later stage, but it's very rare. Yeah. Um, so, communication it is a challenge. So our work, there's also an educational process that goes like in training in each community separately. And obviously that is done in the language of the community with their local trainer. But when we do meet together, we always make sure that everything, 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 every word that is said is being said in both languages. As the, the activities are uh, led by team from uh, the two groups. So there's always going to be translation for everything. And the kids know that like we don't start anything before it has been said in two languages, etc. Um, part of our uh, training is uh, of the work that we do in the communities separately but also together is what we call language training. Which means that no one is really going to you know, uh, catch on to the full language, but they're going to learn some phrases, some basic like communication skills, which is more important to us not for them to really be able to like talk, but really to, to, to try and, and get them used to listening to the other's language, not from a place of fear, but of a place of interest. Yes, to break eyes and... Yeah, the, the, a lot of times really the connotation for uh, Jewish kids to listen to Arabic is fear. And for Palestinian children to listen to Hebrew is fear. Yeah, and this is something that was very important for us to change. Like, do not think, oh my God, it's like you know the language of my enemy. I'm listening to like something scary right now, <laughs> but I'm listening to something that can relate to games and fun and and to positive experience. And when when I'm interested in someone's language, and in a way, I'm already interested in their culture. And this is trying. This something that we're trying to cultivate in these programs. And in addition, like you can always see, like in the beginning, in the activities that they meet together, it's always like the kids come and say, "Oh, they're making fun of me. They're talking about me. I know this. I know this." And we're obviously always explain, "It's not that." Blah blah blah. And we come and we mitigate. And what did you say? And what did he say? Introduce yourself. They all say something about you to help you wanting to know blah. But meantime, okay, they can't have a full conversation. But even the fact that you can approach the other boy and just ask him in his language, like, "What's your name?" or "It's nice to see you." Mm -hmm. or something like that, then it's already like, okay, so maybe he's not talking about me, you know? Like, I can start seeing him as my friend, just because of this super basic interaction that we had in the beginning of the session. Great. Um, during this, uh, the preliminary processes that you do of connecting with parents and uh, building trust uh, with them, um, how do you tackle the downsides of other actors? For example, I don't know if you had... Um, any, um, let's say, boycott against the programs, if there is an example or a situation of uh, people within the communities or other organizations. Yeah. yeah. 
So first of all, what we understand is that like our program is not mandatory. You don't have to participate in it. If it's not for you or if it's not for your parents, then we're not going to force anyone to do it because that doesn't, I mean, if you're not ready for the process, then you're not ready for the process. And maybe once your community is in and things start to change there, then maybe the next year you'll be able to join. But we're not going to force anyone to do anything that they don't want, especially when it's like parents with their kids and it's really sensitive. We're not going into that. But we are meeting with communities, the parents, in the beginning of every activity here so that they can get to know us like on a personal level. We show them like the different things that we've done throughout the year, exactly what we plan to do in this year, pictures from the different activities that we have to show them and it's all like fun and games and, and nice. And what we imagine that their kids will benefit if they join this program. Um, it's always an open channel between us and the community. They're always invited to participate in the activities to come join and watch the practices. Like they're very welcome. We're not hiding anything. Nothing is being done in secretive. And the fact that we're working with trainers and clubs that are from their community and people that they already know and trust, that's also usually quite helpful. Great. Um, you mentioned COVID, and we have to talk about COVID. Um, so. How was the experience with children in the these like remodel programs? Uh, how did you manage to guarantee that the participants uh, had full access to the activities? So in some communities it was more challenging, uh, as not all kids have computers and not even all kids have access to internet. Um, so that's a limitation that unfortunately we really didn't have anything that we could do yeah. about it especially since it came in such a surprise and no one like planned we yeah. didn't have the opportunity to you know budget for like community computers or anything because why would you need a computer when you have a football program you know <laughs> um so it was it was for sure a challenge uh, which was bigger in some communities um and it, as always it was also like you know constantly trying to be in contact with communities and understanding what their needs when there was no school and no uh, activities, if there was really a, a need and a hunger for activities to, to to give something for the kids to do, you know, instead of sitting in front of the computer. So as fast as we could, we started adapting, like, just, it was less about sport. Like, yeah, we filmed some exercises for them, like, to do workouts, how do you do workouts at home, and, like, all kinds of activities like that. But also, we took the opportunity to do a lot of, like, work focusing on the peace building and the values and learning about the culture and getting them to interact like with one another in like small WhatsApp groups, which was really not easy uh, at all. Um, but I think like in, in situations like that, especially when you're working with development and NGOs, like it's constant. You're always going to have interruptions. It can be political, it can be financial, it can be health crisis, <laughs> but you're always going to have interruptions. So the idea is to just be very, very open to change and to just know like what is your end goal and to try and look at every situation that comes, not just on the negative sides of it, but also on the opportunities that it brings. Mm -hmm. For example, because it's on Zoom and online and everyone's at home, we could afford to easily have way more encounters than what we usually have. So taking advantage of that instead of focusing on the many, many, many obstacles along the way. Yeah. Um, I think in the if you look on the website, there's a blog template, and one of the I, I recently did an interview on the blog, like a post, that I don't know what to call it, exactly about like how to what did we do with COVID. Yes, I. So you'd have there some detailed information, I think. 
Yes, I found it. Um, this is why I wanted to ask you about how you remodeled all the activities and how you change with the task, like yeah. more about task about within football and the rules instead of like playing because it was impossible, of course. How will the mini World Cup will be held? Will be held? Like how, how? What is going to happen? And in this, uh, also you mentioned in a, in a magazine that um, within this mini World Cup, um, you were trying to do a combination with an international line sport and a peace conference and yeah. grass uh, routine. So what is exactly and how is going to be with it, it this year? So what we did for the 2020 Mini Mondial, so the one that has already left us, uh, was an online conference. Uh, it was supposed to be like the normal event that we have every year, which is like 800 children, like 200 volunteers on ground, lots of fun. Uh, obviously, this was not possible this year. Uh, so we turned it into an online event. We had a component there that was for the children, so it was like a TikTok challenge. That the idea of the TikTok challenge was like all kinds of message to like uh, spread the word of like using football as an educational tool to build tolerance and peace. Mm -hmm. um, so that was a campaign like that all the kids could take part of. The rest of it was more for the um, community, like to the NGO grassroots organization community. Um, the, the theme of the of the conference was uh, using sport as a peace building tool. And it hosted a lot of, it was international, it hosted people from all over the world, also speakers, also guests. Uh, so there was a, a, an emphasis on capacity building and sharing our programs and the work that we do here. Um, and also empowering like our staff, uh, our coaches and all of the people that are taking part in the day-to-day -day work. And as for 2021, God only knows. I mean... <laughs> yeah. Obviously, we would like and we would wish to have the normal event, but we have to wait until June and see what's the situation. What, what will be. Yeah. Um, so, in practical terms, um, beyond visibility and acknowledgement, uh, what does it mean that uh, FIFA is supporting the Twin Peaks uh, support team? So... For us, like every donor is obviously very, we're thankful and all donors are equally important and etc. Um, but it is always very rewarding uh, to have a body which is focusing on sport that is world-known um, and that is of, of this magnitude uh, to support the program. Because I think this is also something that, like, you know, the participants can know the value of it and they can understand, like, oh, wow, if we're teaming up with FIFA on something, if FIFA is supporting what we do yeah. here on our football pitch, then it must be, like, cool, you know? Yeah. For the, for the language of the youngsters. <laughs> um, and also, when normally to be a part of a network of such a donor would also provide other opportunities, which is just as important. Additionally, to have donors that are not donating just like for this one time, you know, but that you can rely on them that they're donating for two years, three years, or that they're going to be frequent donors to the project, it helps in the sense of sustainability, of your ability to plan for it, for bigger moves, for long-lasting moves. 
uh, and not just like this one time kind of intervention. Okay, so it's mostly in terms in terms of um, yeah resources and um, more stability in the long term. And acknowledgement for sure as well. Yeah, it's a big part of it. Okay, um, so how did the Israeli Football Association get involved? Um, like, what are the activities they participate in or? So the football association is donating to, is taking part uh, in the Blank Fair Living Peace Program. Uh, basically, part of what we do is, you know, reach out uh, to different um, stakeholders that we find that can be relevant to our programs. And since, you know, especially when you, you have like these big events and stuff like that, and you build yourself a name, then you can attract also the... the the most significant stakeholders. And for us, the Israeli Football Association is obviously one of the big stakeholders for our field. Um, and they're really collaborating with us on this program. Uh, their, their educational division and their social involvement division uh, is doing awesome work in many, many fields. Uh, and we found a shared language around this program that they can really get behind. Uh, and it's proven to be a very fruitful collaboration. We're currently working on uh, uh, building an educational plan together for a different kind of project that we're doing with them in order to make sure that every school that wants can, you know, have access to, to our kind of content for peace building. For, um, it will be completely for free. It will be for teachers to basically download and, and to do in their classes. So it's proving to be a very, very meaningful and important collaboration. Great. And also because I think uh, the team is like a symbol of this uh, unity. Like Absolutely. We completely have a shared language yeah. um, that goes across, not just in this project, but in many others that we're doing. Um, and yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I think that these programs uh, might be like setting a world example, like you mentioned, in you know, like world uh, peace building. Um, can you uh, maybe mention about uh, sports for social uh, change? Uh, the event that you attended, uh, I think in 2018, it was in India, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, so in in part of our work, we're we're taking part in a lot of the uh, international networks and also national networks, but a lot of different organizations that uh, work with sport as an educational tool. Um, and with these collaborations, there's often a lot of emphasis on, uh, on best practice uh, sharing. We learn a lot from each other, uh, we support each other, in the end it's like one big family that just, you know, tries to, to assist in order to, to make this change that we want to see in the world happen faster. Um, so part of that is, is often uh, uh, traveling to, to other organizations in order to um, teach about the work that we do, learn about their work, implement programs. And uh, this festival in India uh, was an a all-girl uh, festival that brought groups from all over India uh, to participate in a soccer for tolerance tournament. 
Um, and during our time there, we gave a few workshops about our methodologies and capacity building for the staff. Uh, and also, we got to participate in a lot of workshops um, with other organizations, led by other organizations. And one of the programs that we developed there uh, is uh, the diversity campaign, which we still use today. And, um, so basically the idea is that we wanted to create something international that all the organizations could use and could think all of us together. And basically it was building a lot of different lesson plans about diversity and why it is important. Mm -hmm. um, and each lesson plan basically ended in the same way, which is creating an online campaign, like taking a picture with your message, posting it, hashtagging it, etc. Okay. So that was some of the work in India. Right. I I I watched. I found out the 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 event, and I think it was amazing. Um, I like in my. In, in this uh, journey, I have learned that in the field of something called public diplomacy and the something called emerging cultural diplomacy, the importance of um, like individuals interaction. In your view, does peace come from top down or down to top? And what changes in social impact uh, have you encountered in this in this journey you yeah. have um, started the, at the presented inside and outside the pitch, of course? So as an NGO, um, a grassroots organization, our approach is very, very much uh, bottom-up. In general, we were founded by uh, um, Shimon Peres, which basically his whole life was dedicated to um, the Israeli politics, so very much the approach of top, top to down. bottom. Yes. Um, but at some point, he kind of got the understanding that it's not enough, that okay, this work has to happen, this, this, this up to bottom, it has to happen, but if in the same time that the civilian the population is not prepared for change and is not embracing it and is not calling for it, then nothing will really happen, nothing will really change. And therefore he started the Bell Center as an organization that will start doing this work from the bottom up, trying to reach like the, the, the civil society and to create that change. So the Paris Center in all of our work, this is really our approach. We very much believe in people to people, uh, and and we believe that this is the way to, to create and to foster real change. How has been Leon's uh, Bujo's personal experience as a head of sport? Like, what do you think this amazing quest is uh, leading us to? Uh, how it's been my experience? Well. Before coming to the Paris Center, I didn't really have uh, too much uh, experience in the field of peace building. More than that, I can even say that the first time, as, as most Israelis, by the way, the first time that I had any interaction with uh, someone from the other side, what we uh, call with double quotes, um, so with an Arab person, was in in my 20s already, you know, in university as a student. And this is, like, I come from Tel Aviv and from a very, very, very left-wing and liberal family, and yet this was the situation, you know? And I think this is really goes to show how fundamental and, and rooted this issue is with our society and how it needs 
we change in, in this aspect. So I, I, I really think that for me, the experience in the person was somewhat of eye-opening. Like, I, I would never otherwise have the opportunity to, to visit in, in Palestinian communities, but as, you know, as more in a sense of an insider, not just like I'm someone that is coming to like, oh, I saw and I went, but to have like significant contacts there and significant relationships. And this is really has been something that like, it changes your perspective. It, and it changes like the feeling of, like there's a, there's a really urgency around this in creating change here. Like this is not something that can just continue going on. This is us. Um, so if, if to make it very short, I would say for me, this was an eye-opening experience. And although it is very difficult and like change is something that like we don't really see happening in the large, but it is something that you get to see like day to day when you're working on the project. Even if it's like the most tiny, tiny, tiny things like girls that are just asking about their Palestinian friends, like how are they doing in COVID? That's already like change. And for me, this is also super, super optimistic and positive. Uh, and yeah, I just hope it will, my dream would be that our project would be something that like exists in every school and in every community. And then I really do believe that we would see the change faster and faster instead of, you know, fighting the windmills, which is the Israeli reality. So you think after these children um, finish their programs, um, they continue. They will continue in, uh, in connect, like interacting in, in connection after school and like continue growing up. Well, to be very honest, no. I, I think that they can only continue their connections if we provide them the channels to do so. Okay. I mean, an Israeli girl, as much as she wants, she cannot be in contact with her. Palestinian friends in Jericho, unless she's provided the framework to do that. Um, so as long as they're taking part in these kind of program, programs, and yeah, I, I really do think that friendships can be formed and are being formed, um, but they can't, unfortunately, do it without assistance. Um, and this is not often the situation that we can provide like a framework for, you know, 12 years. Yeah. Normally not the case. However, I, I do believe that the fact that they do get to meet someone, they get to meet an Israeli or they get to meet a Palestinian on a first base experience and not just by what they hear on the news and everything, that will make them more understanding, more tolerant, more accepting of the other mm -hmm. instead of just looking at them as the enemy or as this and that because, you know, you can tell you, oh, they're terrible, they're terrible, they're terrible people. It's one person that you know, that was your friend, that you played together, like that you got to learn something about their culture, about their reality, and no one can take that away. Like you always have this little thing inside you that, that can challenge the, the other opinions. Yes, that's true. Um, how can like regular people, I mean, non-members of the communities or people that are not the, uh, directly connected with anything from the conflict, um, can engage or come in need even to participate in these programs? Um, so because it's kids and it's quite sensitive, like don't expose children to to anyone. 
um, then it's not really possible to get involved in the programs without uh, without being part of it. Um, however, as I mentioned, we are working now on a lesson plan, so like the content could be available for any teacher or guide that would like to to implement it. Um, yeah, that's basically my answer. Okay. Um, talking yeah. like about uh, like of course um football. Um, do you like do you are are you a fan a football fan or? Uh, I, I, I until recently I played football myself. Oh great. Um, yes, but unfortunately I, I kind of I feel I'm becoming a bit too old for it. <laughs> to be honest. Um, oh my god, it's really. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a great game. I think, it, and not just football. I think all uh, team sports are awesome educational uh, tools, and it's really something that is super important for for the growing up process of, of every youngster. I mean, the values are awesome. The the camaraderie is great. Uh, of course, it's essential for also having a healthy lifestyle. So I'm I'm, I'm a great fan and supporter. Okay. Um, but thank you very much, Leon. It You're was amazing. Um, I hope we will stay in touch. I am very like I love what you're doing. Um, thank you. And uh, yes, I hope you it will have much better like a bigger impact because I think that's a, a really um, good way to 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 create change and. So this is the end of our first episode of Voces Mundi. I hope you liked it as much as I did. Share the voices to help us grow and don't forget to follow us on our social media channels, Instagram, Facebook and Twitter at Voces Mundi. And please feel free to share new topics or people you'd like to hear about. The Mundi is the limit. Music licensing reimagined.